Welcome to the Action Catalyst, where we share inspiration and insights to help you get moving, overcome mediocrity, and move toward achieving your goals in life. From Nashville, Tennessee, this is Dan Moore, your host, partner with Southwestern Consulting and president of Southwestern Advantage. Are you interested in advertising with the Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com. Here on the Action Catalyst, we've had a chance to hear from some amazing business leaders. Today, I am thrilled that we're going to be bringing an artistic aspect to this that we have been missing thus far. Our guest today is Mr. Freddie Ravel. Freddie not only understands business and is a tremendous motivator for business leaders, but also does it through the medium of music. He's been nicknamed the keynote maestro by the city of Los Angeles, and his music and messaging have been presented so far in 73 countries, probably more by now. Audience members have included the past prime minister of India, Rajiv Gandhi, and also the king of Thailand. Freddie has developed a very unique teaching approach. It takes the principles of music and merges them to outstanding business and professional success. It's a peak performance methodology that completely enhances leadership, collaboration, and self-awareness. It's a method that he calls the rhythm of success, and we're going to hear a lot about that today. So, Freddie, thank you for gracing us today with your presence, with your talents, and with your message. Thanks for having me, Dan. It's uh, it's great to be speaking to you and and my friends in Music City. Well, that is great. When I look over your your background, your resume, you have traveled and performed and composed with so many people, from Sergio Mendez. You've learned from Deepak Chopra, with Al Jarreau, with Carlos Santana, so many more. I think all of them can now check off their bucket list that they know Freddie Ravel. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. <laughs> You're too kind. Well, you and I are about in the same category of having been blessed with a a long career of influencing people. Can you share with us sort of how you got started? I know you were a tremendously proficient piano player, lessons as a child, a great performer. What led to that first big break to help get you started? Well, I guess I think first and foremost is I I have two incredible parents, uh, my, my mom and dad, who are still, thank God, they're still alive and, 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 and doing well, um, thank God. And uh, they both were incredible in accepting the fact that I really had this crazy passion to follow a career that is usually uh, dotted with a lot of uh, challenges. And and mine had plenty of those, but I was blessed with some really important breaks. And to answer your question specifically, I think I would say Sergio Mendez uh, calling me up when I was 23 years old, fresh out of college, uh, year out of, a year out of college and inviting me to tour the world with him. I think that was could definitely be defined as one of my first big breaks. Mm-hmm. And for listeners that are, are not quite as experienced, Sergio Mendez was an amazing Brazilian composer, song leader. His group, Brazil 66, brought the music of samba and culture to the entire world. In fact, The Fool on the Hill, as done by Brazil 66, puts Paul McCartney's version to shame. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, it is a brilliant arrangement. Um, and I might add that Sergio Mendez is going to be playing in my hometown of Los Angeles at the Hollywood Bowl next week. So he's still here. Here we are in, at the end of 2018, and he's still bringing brilliant music to the to the modern age. Oh, I think that is absolutely phenomenal. Um, 
after, was it six years that you spent with Sergio Mendez? Uh-huh. Oh, I think that's phenomenal. And then that was great preparation for your, your first solo album that happened after that. Can you share a bit about what that was involved? Yes. Um, I was uh, playing with Sergio Mendez in Japan, and uh, there was a jam session that Sergio Mendez did not want to attend that he was asked to play piano on. And he kind of pulled me off to the side. I was, of course, at this point, I'm 28 years old. And he says, Freddie, can you cover for me? <laughs> I really don't want to like jam with a lot of people, you know, that I don't know. And I said, absolutely, I'll be happy to do it. And uh, I ended up uh, putting together a group of the musicians that we were all going to spontaneously work together. I decided, let's, let's have a huddle. And we ended up writing a piece of music in anticipation of this performance that was done on the final night of a big jazz festival. And it ended up being very successful. And Polygram Records, which is a division of Universal Records, which to this day is the largest music uh, you know, record recording label uh, that we have on, on the planet, they, uh, they approached me right after that engagement and, and invited me to be an artist and sent me a record contract about two months after that. So that was sort of another huge break. <laughs> That's phenomenal. And some people might say it was lucky that that uh, A&R person was there in the audience, but we all know that luck is when preparation and opportunity meet. Amen. I also, uh, I also say, Dan, that L-U-C-K is living under cosmic knowledge. You know, um, it's just another way to think of the word luck. I think you 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 have to be prepared and you have to be dreaming and you have to keep pushing and i think you know destiny has a way of landing and and intersecting with your goals you know mm -hmm. absolutely now i've heard you refer to an aspect of music that's called call and response something from sergio mendez and many others of course uh can you share what that's all about well, sure. Well, call and response is something that you'll also hear in, in virtually uh, all kinds of churches, right? Um, you hear call and response all the time. In music, uh, let's see, I'm thinking of, uh, of jazz right now, Duke Ellington, right? I miss the Saturday dance is the call. Do, 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 do. Yeah. There it is. And you just sang the response. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I heard the, the question. I heard they crowded the floor. Answer. Da, 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 da. I couldn't bear it without you. And final response. Don't get around much, don't get around much anymore. Or let's say we go to Johann Strauss, who wrote the Blue Danube, right? Dun, mm -hmm. da, dun, dun, dun. The response. Dun, 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 dun. dun, dun right? Mm -hmm. It's so ingrained that uh, you can travel anywhere in the world and you can sing these melodic uh, motifs to an audience anywhere on planet Earth. Because <laughs> I've done this in, in 78 countries, like you mentioned earlier, and people know exactly what to respond to. And they do. So musical memory, call and response is actually ingrained in, in all races, all cultures throughout the world. Uh-huh. And I think in a different way, when you got that call to do your first solo album, when you got that call from Sergio Mendez, your own response was yes. Oh, Whereas yeah. many people would be intimidated or, or frightened or say, well, let me think about it. It was the call and your own innate willingness to respond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I will tell you this. I'm crazy passionate about music. And I, to me, it's it's so joyful and so beautiful to participate in the world's oldest undisputed international language 
to me, the entire experience is one of privilege. Uh, I Every opportunity that I have to speak on a stage or speak from a musical instrument or sing or be right here on this podcast with you, Dan, every, every single moment we have to share what we believe in is a privilege. And I don't take anything for granted. Oh, I think it's amazing. I think the next phase in your career involved another call and response that everybody knows, Badia. When you got involved yeah. with the Say Earth, Wind, and Fire. Remember. Oh, yeah. <laughs> September was uh, certainly one of their biggest songs, maybe their biggest song. And yes, I, uh, I had the great privilege of working with Earth, Wind, and Fire. And uh, they invited me to not only play piano with them and, and keyboards, because at that age, when they, when they hired me, that was the, the golden age of keyboards. You would walk on stage with about five or six keyboards all around you. Mm. So I played synthesizers and organs and clavinets and string parts and electric piano and acoustic piano and, you know, all kinds of different sounds. And uh, in addition to playing, they asked me to compose, produce, and also serve as their musical director while I was doing these things. So I had the, the great honor to work with those horns, that rhythm section, those amazing vocals. Hmm. I'd say that was, you know, definitely one of the highlights of my of my journey. Well, what does a musical director do during a concert, during a live performance? A musical director during during the concert it may do some conducting, may hold out their hand to signal something. But at that level, when you're working with a band of that caliber, the all the work already occurred at rehearsal. Um, by the time you hit the stage, it's time to have fun, and the steps the arrangements, the execution of all that has already been well rehearsed. Oh, okay. But it's a, a matter of being very aware of what's going on around you and audience reaction and all the rest of that at the same time. Absolutely. It's a bit like being a conductor in an orchestra, mm -hmm. but they, they call it musical directing when it's in the world of pop music. Mm -hmm. Well, I also know one of the big influences on you was your time spent with Deepak Chopra. Can you expand on that for us, please? Yeah, uh, I, I, um, Deepak Chopra moved to the West Coast in 1992 as, a, as Dr. Deepak Chopra, and he wasn't as big and famous yet at that time. Uh, he was an endocrinologist who had moved in from Boston out to L.A., and one of the people that uh, serves as the PR person for another great thought leader, Marianne Williamson, um, invited me, she was representing Deepak as well, and she suggested to Deepak that we get together and compose music. And uh, we did meet, and Deepak and I connected immediately, and he was very interested in spreading the news of a piece called Slip in the Gap, hmm. uh, which was uh, uh, a concept of meditation. Now, for me as a musician, I perceived it as the space between the notes, Whereas in meditation, you would call it the space between thoughts. And uh, we decided that we would bridge these two worlds, the space between the notes and the space between thoughts, into this song called Slip in the Gap, which I co-wrote with a, a lady by the name of Anjani and um, Verdine White of Earth, Wind and Fire. So there were, we all got together. We put this piece together. This was in 1993. Um, and it came out on my second album, Soul to Soul, and did very, very well, touched people in a very different way. And that was the beginning for me, Dan, 
of starting to do speaking engagements mm. and integrating the philosophies that I had been learning with Deepak and blending them with what I'd been learning with other artists. I, I also worked with Madonna and Prince as well. So I was learning a lot from people in the pop world as well as people in the jazz and R&B and soul world. Mm -hmm. What was the first speaking engagement or how did, how did that actually merge from music into this combination that you're in now? So Deepak was doing, uh, for well, Marianne Williamson would have been the first one. Marianne was doing engagements at Lincoln Center in New York and other, the Saban Theater and other theaters here in Los Angeles. And she invited me to perform, play music, and to speak before I would play songs. And I began to sort of set up big events, not only just performing on keyboards, but explaining the meaning of the lyrics and the music. So instead of just going up and playing the piano, I would set up the context of why we were playing what we were playing. Uh, you know, right. I might say things like, you know, the key of D major, for example, is a, is a very sunny key. And this key uh, is a lot of open strings on the guitar. It's the, it's the same key that the Beatles used for Here Comes the Sun, for example. Da-da-da-da-da. Right. Right? Here Comes the Sun. So people would walk away going, wow, I, I had no idea that there are specific keys that are assigned to specific moods. Well, mm. the answer is there are. And... And musicians understand that different keys have different overtones and feelings to them. The key of D-flat major, for example, is associated with the key of the earth. And so when we wrote Slip in the Gap with Deepak Chopra, I said, Deepak, since this is about the space between the notes, let's really ground it. Why don't we put it in the key of D-flat? And there are 12 keys. So picking D-flat is a one out of 12 shot, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we specifically chose that one because I knew that that was the key of the earth. So keys and the feeling of keys have very specific emotions that they generate. And they, they're, they all have their place. Kind of like an artist who has a palette of colors. You know when to use purple or pink or yellow or red. When you're painting, you have a sense, you have a feeling of what color you want to use when you're about to come up with an idea and literally paint a picture. Well, you also paint pictures, audio pictures with sound. And that's what that was about. So when I would explain these at these events, Marianne Williamson would come up to me and Deepak and they would say, Freddie, that was amazing. I mean, that's just people don't think of what you're saying. You're kind of giving people an entirely new insight to the, to the why, the how, the when, the where, you know, mm. of music. And people love it. So you might want to keep like, keep going with that. It's great. That's what started happening. And then Deepak did events called the Seduction of Spirit, which we used to do in the mid-90s in San Diego was one of the common places we did it. And I would bring an entire group with a nine-foot piano all the way down to San Diego from L.A. and do these events for several thousand people. And I was speaking already with my band on stage, and I started going into more of the human potential aspects of all the music, why things made people feel better, more empowered, more connected, why 
this song was about collaboration, why this song was about rhythm and time management, why this song had a very strong melody and had a statement of identity and purpose. Hmm. And once I started speaking like that, people were going, wait a second, this is a whole new way of looking at music. And that's when the methodology of melody, harmony, rhythm, and score, which is the foundational aspect of what I've been doing since the early 90s, has become what is a, what is now being molded into a book. Hmm. I love that. So let's get right into that and tell us more about the rhythm of success, the, the name that you've given to this methodology that you share. Yes. And I might add, that's the name of the programs that I'm doing now, but mm-hmm. I have several, several programs. But yes, the Rhythm of Success is the primary program that I do. I do it as a keynote speaker, often in front of, typically in front of a Fortune 100, 500 kind of company, many times for private organizations as well. And um, I will do this on stage with a keyboard on stage. Mm -hmm. And so I'm speaking about 80% of the time, maybe closer to 90% of the time, and 10% of the time, I am, you know, weaving performances on the piano. Sometimes there's use of an orchestra or, a, or clips of Carlos Santana that are behind me, projected on a large screen, and we jam together between the orchestra and Carlos and other artists that I've worked with. So we call this a keynote concert because it's a keynote at a concert simultaneously. Mm. And it, it, yeah, it, it makes it a very powerful experience. Right. Well, what are the components of the rhythm of success and how they relate to people that are leading organizations or building businesses? If, you're, if your uh, listeners can imagine this, Dan, if you can just for a moment, if you think of the three basic aspects of all music, they are the melody, mm-hmm. the harmony, and the rhythm. Uh, the melody is always almost every single time has to be delivered by a leader. It's either a lead singer, a lead instrumentalist, but melody and leadership are intertwined. Mm -hmm. Uh, We even even use the term lead singer, lead guitar player, band leader. We literally say the word leader, and it's always associated with who's ever dealing with the melody. Because who's ever dealing with the melody is in the spotlight, whether it's Lady Gaga singing, or Bruno Mars, or Frank Sinatra, or Yo-Yoma playing the cello, who's, who's ever got that lead? They're the ones that are dealing with leads, mm-hmm. leadership and melody. The next step is the harmony. In music, when one, uh, I'm sorry, when two or more notes come together, that is collaboration, and that's harmony. So I associate harmony with teams and working together. Mm-hmm. So melody is sort of a, is really a singular leader type of role, individualistic, if you will, mm-hmm. whereas harmony is collaborative and requires two or more to make the team and to, to make harmony in music. Mm-hmm. Finally, you've got melody and you've got harmony, but if you don't have this third piece, it don't mean a thing. <laughs> <laughs> you mean that swing? <laughs> right? It don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. And actually, Duke Ellington was really referring to this. He's saying... This is what happens when melody and harmony don't work out. It don't mean a thing, meaning you've got to have a sense of timing and tempo when you're, execu- when you're executing leadership and teams. 
melody and harmony without a good drummer completely falls apart. Mm. But when you have a good drummer, and when I say a good drummer in the business sense, I mean a respect for time. In other words, how do you use those 168 hours a week that each of us are given to maximize your potential? Mm -hmm. How are you using your goals as a leader, the people you work with, the community you work with, the harmony, to make sure that you are managing your time? So rhythm and time are, are, are first cousins of each other. Um, in the world of music, the drummer is the one that has to play a steady tempo so that the lead can sing and the harmony people can support that melody. But in a, in a company, you need a good, solid CEO singing the melody, and you need a great team in harmony working well together, listening well to each other. And then you have to understand that, hey, we have one week to get this done, or we have to deliver the goods, the products, and the services within 72 hours. That sets the tempo, and it's all time-based. So that is the way, in a nutshell, that we use melody, harmony, and rhythm to help organizations understand better what the roles are in generating the highest level of products and services, mm -hmm. which we call the score. When you get to the score, that's your final outcome of the proper use of melody, harmony, and rhythm. It leads to that synergy of combining all those three critical elements. That's it. And if you think about it, you know, synergy uh, means where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Mm -hmm. And that's the, where the, that's that magic factor that happens when the human spirit and you, and you, and uh, jumps in to the chemistry of people working together. That's when there's uh, love, compassion, awareness, understanding, um, and people bounce off of each other and something resonates on a higher level. And that's how you have breakthroughs. That's how you have the best ideas. That's how you have innovation. That's what leads to a company having breakthroughs. Mm -hmm. And we know what happens in music if the lead is going one direction and the harmony is going another and the rhythm is going yet another. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, if nobody wants to listen to it, it sounds like chaos and or it sounds out of tune or out of sync. Mm -hmm. And even non-musicians, I mean, just the audience can hear that. They can hear where something's off and it turns them off and they'll never buy the record or, and, they'll, and they'll leave. They won't stick around to hear that. Well, a business is the same way. If the CEO is thinking in a different direction, is not transparent with the team, the harmony, or, or might have that going on, but has no regard for deadlines or for delivering results, meaning the drummer is too slow, or there's no synchronization, guess what? The business fails. In fact, that saying that 80% of American businesses fail has a, almost everything to do with the rhythm. Because often mm. the business starts out of passion, a good, a good melody, and often the business collaborates with other people and gets a harmony going. But typically for financial reasons, or for other aspects of disruption, the ability to execute things in sync, with a good pacing, with good timing, and often it finances affect that, by the way, often, mm. that leads to a score that never gets realized. Got it, got and it. And that's how failure happens.
Right. Now, just as an interesting sidebar, have you found that after you present the the concept of this, that organizations actually incorporate music more into their operations than on a conscious basis? Uh, yes, uh, I have found. Uh, I've had uh, one of the people, you know, I, I did several presentations for IBM and uh, multiple presentations for the uh, Blue Cross people mm-hmm. uh, and, and some other very large companies like that. Uh, Microsoft as well. And what happens is um, individual members come up to me and say, I have never in my life equated something I love like music and my playlist and linked it to my productivity. I just never did that. And uh, I, they come back to me months later, sometimes a year later, and, let, and, and they'll tell me, God, Freddie, this has changed the way I communicate. I look for uh, I look for greater brevity sometimes. Mm. I get to the point faster. My um, and and I take in the information much more deeply. And the one thing we haven't talked about on this podcast is the art of listening. Mm. And listening is uh, is a is kind of the cent is like the center of all this. In other words, melody, harmony, and rhythm are completely useless if we don't listen. <laughs> I think <laughs> you're right. Right, you could have the greatest musicians in the world, but if they're not listening to each other, they don't have respect. They don't have. They're not honoring what each one's trying to do to support them. It sounds like gobbledygook. It doesn't sound good at all, right? Right. So that's the same thing that happens in the workplace. You may have a team of great people with great ideas. You might have a great melody. You might even have good rhythm. But if people are not listening deeply to each other, they miss the point. And there's many aspects to this, Dan. You know, we speak at 150 words a minute, but our minds move at around 600 to 1,000 words a minute. So it's actually human to be thinking about four to six times ahead of what anybody tells you. Hmm. But musicians cannot afford to do that. We can't be, when I was playing with Carlos Santana or Prince or even today, with my own group, and we've been playing together for many, many years, I cannot be four to six times ahead of my drummer. Mm. It'll be a train wreck. Mm. We'll, we'll be out of tune, we'll sound ridiculous, and nobody will listen to that. We have to be completely involved with each other in the moment, at the same time, synchronized with each other. That is also what a great team does when they're having success in the business world. Well, I would agree with that. Um, I know from time to time you take the word listen and you anagram it into a different word. Can you share that with us? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is fun. You know, for all of you out there, maybe you're in your car right now or you're listening at home or at work. If you got a pen or if you can draw an imaginary lines in the air, just imagine taking writing in the air L-I-S-T-E-N and just rearrange the letters around, and you get S-I-L-E-N-T. Silent. <laughs> silent. And just thinking that the word listen and silent are that related to each other and have the same letters can be a really powerful tool when you step into any meeting that you're about to have, and you'll, you'll find very quickly that people will respect you more because they realize 
that you're giving something more valuable than almost anything else on the planet. And that is our time, mm -hmm. our time with each other. This time I'm having with you, Dan, this time I'm having with your, your listeners who are tuning into this podcast. It's, there's nothing more important to me right now in this moment than being with you and your, and your listenership. And we can feel that, Freddie, very much. It's fantastic. Uh, are, we, are we as a people getting better or worse at listening? We're getting worse. Mm. Um, and I answered that quickly because we know that attention span is at an all-time low right now. Mm. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the hijacking of the human mind looking at flat screens. Mm. Uh, flat screens are everywhere. Um, and people are locked into their phones and their iPads and their computers and big screens at home in ways that the human race has never seen. There is a, a, a huge amount of energy, time, and much of our life force and waking hours that are spending uh, an exorbitant amount of our, of our time looking at a flat screen. Some of it is a product of our culture. Some of it we do for our work. But I would venture to say that there's a good amount of it that is a waste. Um, Americans, for example, look at their uh, smartphones approximately 47 times a day. It's something like once every 18 or 19 minutes. And when you're in a culture that's constantly looking at that, taking a moment and distracting themselves and pulling themselves into the black hole of social media, for example, they often lose what it is to be alive and be present. You'll see young kids in the middle of the Grand Canyon. Mm. <laughs> Something that's, you know, absolutely one of the, the great wonders of the world, looking at a smartphone most of the time. That, that's what I'm talking about. Or, you know, uh, and, and I don't mean to just point this at young generation. Uh, this is happening all over. Um, so we do, have a, we do have a tendency now to be less present than we ever have been. Mm. And I do believe, though, that there's a great effort to, to shift that. You know, uh, just recently, um, Apple, for example, put on the iPhones this thing called screen time. So that at the end of a week, you could look at your, your phone and see, wow, I spent, you know, nine hours, you know, in this one app that is not helping my life. It's not helping my career. It's not helping my health, you mm. know. Um, so it's, there's, an e there's even efforts by the tech giants to let human beings know, hey, we want you to buy our technology, but don't, please don't fall into the black hole of it. Music, on the other hand, is different. Music uh, is the oldest and it is the undisputed international language of the world, right? right? So people relate to music differently. And music gives you the ability to multitask. You can listen to music and do something completely different, as millions and millions of people do. They study, they work, they're more productive, they use music as a backdrop. And um, music has that wonderful way of helping us, uh, it, it, and it's delivered through the air. If you think about it, you can't touch it, you can't feel it, you can't smell it, but it moves you. It, and it's it's merely stimulated air, but it's stimulated in such a beautiful way that it it has a way of arresting our our hearts and our souls and our minds. And if we leverage it the right way, it can it, it can empower the way we work 
and the way we are as people. Right. And it actually requires us to put both sides of our brain to work. And that's immensely important. Amen. Wow. Uh, Freddie, this is inspiring. I, I wonder if you could share some observations based on a, a career. You've been in a highly competitive field. I mean, I'm in Music City here, and the number of people that come here to, quote, make it in the music business is legion compared to those that actually are able to have a, a career of significance and meaning. But I'm sure along the way, you've hit some brick walls. You've had some roadblocks and difficult periods where just nothing was going right. What 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 could you share with about what you've learned regarding motivating yourself through these really difficult periods? Um, I think the main thing is I'm going to sound real country right now. I think you got to make lemonade out of lemons. You know, um, you got to do things that you, it's the glass is half empty or half full. You have to when you have setbacks, and I've had plenty of them. Um, you got to look at why did this happen. And what can I learn and glean from this setback? And how can I get back on the horse and make it better? Um, and how can I turn this around into something that's going to be beneficial in the long run for my growth? So those are kind of the questions you ask when you have a setback. I, I mean, at a very early stage of my life, I had a, an episode in my life where I almost died. And that was, um, I was seven years old. I was playing an imaginary game of hide and seek by myself, right. and I climbed. Um, I climbed into an empty refrigerator that was in the back of the garage that was being stored. It wasn't plugged in. There was nothing inside of it. The door was ajar, and completely, you know, unknowingly, innocently, I wa I thought this is perfect as a hiding place. And I went into the refrigerator and I closed the door. And for about the first 10, 15 seconds, I was delighted. I was like, no one's going to find me here. It's pitch black. It's hermetically sealed, you know? Then when I tried to get out, the door wouldn't open. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started pounding the inside of the refrigerator, and I couldn't get out. And my heart started to sink. And, and I was seven, so I didn't know that I only had about three minutes of air. I had no idea that I would run out of oxygen. I wasn't even thinking about a deadline of time. But after about a minute of kicking and screaming and crying, I got very calm and I started clapping a rhythm or pounding a rhythm on the inside of the door that was this like boom, 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 boom. And I kind of just sat there and played that rhythm against the inside of the door to calm me down. And Dan, you're not going to believe this, my grandmother, who happened to be visiting us that that day, that moment, happened to walk by the garage. And we were very close to the Los Angeles freeway system, which is really, really loud. Oh, yeah. It's like a big uh, white noise. You know, it's like living by an airport. It's just so much noise. But because I was playing a rhythm, boom, 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 she could hear that cutting through the din of all that noise. Hmm. And that made her go to the back and open up the door. And I rolled out of the refrigerator onto the garage floor in a puddle of my own sweat mm. because that's the way it was if you're trapped in a refrigerator. Wow. Now, I didn't even know it at the time, but um, that was music saving my life. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because if I had just sort of kicked and struggled and not done anything, I mean, if I had just blended in with the white noise of the traffic that was just a couple blocks away from the house, she would not have heard me. But because I got calm and because I played that rhythm, that called her attention. And um, I do tell that story um, mm -hmm. often when I make my presentations because at a very, very early age, I realized that music had saved my life. That is an incredible story. Yeah, so that's, that's one of my earliest setbacks, but it turned out that, that music was the way I got out of it. I have to tell you, music pulled me out of a lot of things. I grew up in a pretty tough neighborhood. Um, don't want to give away my age, but I was a newspaper boy. I threw papers and was entrepreneurial by the time I was eight, nine years old, you know, mm -hmm. uh, tossing papers. And back then, that was a pretty common thing to do as a boy if you wanted to be a little entrepreneur and make a little bit of money. And I, I worked in uh, right on the edge of East L.A. where there's a lot of gangs and it's pretty tough. And I've had gangs, you know, grab my bike and throw my papers all over the street and just mess with me and bully me. Mm -hmm. And I remember uh, just being able to get the music in my head. Uh, in fact, Carlos Santana's music was in my brain a lot back then. I had no idea that later in my life I would play with him. But that, that kind of driving Latin music was in my brain all the time. And that helped me pedal my bike through some pretty mean streets. Mm -hmm. So I just want to say, you know, we all have our, we all have our, ideally, we all should have our toolbox to help us succeed. For some of us, it's music. For some of it, it's drawing, it's art, it's poetry. It's how we pour our, our mastermind and, and our groups together, how we pour our hearts and souls into community service or church. What, whatever it may be, it's important to have an outlet where you are exercising that muscle that gives you faith and gives you purpose. Um, also reading, 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 reading every day. These are all things that will help you continually grow. In my case, though, music is always showing up as this life raft <laughs> in the middle of the tough storm again and again. And it's popped up other, many other aspects of my life. Uh, it, when I've had trouble and challenges in the world of business or challenges in the world of relationship, both personal and professional, um, even times when, um, you know, I, my, my greatest job that I've ever had in my life is being a father to two, two beautiful children, mm -hmm. uh, Jasmine, Jasmine and Maxim are their names and they are, they are the greatest blessing of my life and being able to raise them. You know, they say that we raise our kids, but I got some news they're raising us too. <laughs> all the time, <laughs> all the time, right? It never stops. So I think a lot of it is, is how do you view the, the setbacks of life? Mm -hmm. And if you can view them as, well, I'm, you know, I'm failing faster. That way I can fail fast and get back and advance. And I think that perseverance and persistence and that desire to Get, you know, always keep your eyes on the prize, eyes on the prize. Right. And those are the kind of things that get opportunities to follow you and things to, things to bring good fortune to you. Mm -hmm. Wow. Now, uh, quite different, but in some ways related. What about things that you've learned that help a person avoid the tendency that most of us have to just want to coast, to, to hit a certain point and they just want to take it easy and say, I've, I've done enough. What, what do you do to keep 
not just the edge, but the striving and the, and the believing and the, and the climbing? Um, to me, in my particular case, it has to do with my contagious curiosity and passion for people. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just, I mean, I attract a lot of interesting people in my life from all aspects of thought leadership and human potential, because I, I, I'm curious about helping my fellow man and fellow woman grow, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm interested in growing. Um, I'm not interested in stagnation. I, I think, too, that in music, you know, we have a thing, uh, you know, we have a thing called improvisation, mm-hmm. where you have a chord of music or, or a chorus of changes, and you play through them. And you want each day that you play through them, you want it to sound a little different. I look at life that way. I, I, I think variety is the spice of life. And I think that we're ultimately here to help one another. Um, I think that, you know, the golden rule of, you know, do unto others as others do unto you. I think that that's a big rule that I live by very consciously. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think you can get out of bed with a smile on your face if you're just living for yourself. (laughs) You just can't. It's you can't keep you can't keep looking at the proverbial mirror. And I'm using that metaphorically. You can't be, you know that narcissistic energy, you have to be looking through the eyes of other people and seeing, you know, what Namaste consciousness talks about, the light in me recognizes and honors the light in you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. And I, be- I believe that when we live like that, um, you know, every, you know, in my industry, when I'm working with event planners, meeting planners, agents, managers, CEOs, I, I work a lot with CMOs, the the, the folks in marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that when you're, and then when you're working with working with your clients, your customers, your audience, you know, every moment is such a privilege to to have a chance to look through the eyes of other people. And it just so happens in my case that melody, harmony, rhythm, and score are the tools that I have used to help me be kind of my GPS. You know, I say, I always tell people, may you always sing your melody, listen for harmony, dance to your rhythm and celebrate the great score called you. Mm-hmm. Love that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Freddie, I'm going to ask you to comment on one more foundational quote that I know has been important to you. It's from Aristotle. Oh yeah. And it talks about how people find their vocation. Could you share that with us? Yeah, yeah, it's one of my very favorites, Dan, and I know we talked about this once, and it's, it's, um, it's a great quote. Where your talents and the needs of the world intersect, there lies your vocation. Where your talents and the needs of the world intersect, there lies your vocation. That's it. That is it. Wow. What happens for most of us, and, and this kind of goes back to that question you had, Dan, about, you know, how do you coast? You know, what do you do when you find yourself coasting? Here's where people find themselves coasting. They go where your talents, where your talents. A lot of people like to find their talent and live their tendencies, live where they tend to be, the things they tend to be good at, right? Mm-hmm. They kind of find something that works and they stick with it, right? Mm-hmm. And they don't, it, it becomes mundane after a while. 
and they they start to shrink. They stop to they stop growing. And I believe life demands that we keep pushing and keep growing ultimately. And uh, the way to keep growing is the second part, where your talents and here's the second part and the needs of the world. That understanding of what you do, what what is it that you do that matches the needs of the world? And um, I believe that's central to success. Mm. Central, central to success. Because if you're just out there doing what you love to do, you could be an artist that just sits on the street and paints watercolors, right? Mm -hmm. And they could be the most beautiful watercolors. And you really believe they're the most beautiful watercolors. And you take pictures of it and you post your beautiful watercolors. And guess what? You usually don't do too well that way. Hmm. But if the watercolor artist, I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm being totally hypothetical and improvisatory right now, but if that watercolor person, let's say, goes to an organization that is focused on the water crisis, mm. mm -hmm. and we have many cities right now in our country, in the United States, you know, and there's many of them that are having a water shortage. And I'm, I'm out here in California, and there's, there's a pretty serious water crisis out here. Mm -hmm. But there are many, many other cities throughout the country. And if that watercolor artist went to any one of these cities and went to one of those council meetings and hooked up with one of the people there to talk about education, water conservation, water preservation, you know, and made his or her paintings correlated with that, He'd have a he or she would have a different business model, right? Because they've taken their talents and they've matched it with the need of the world on a local level, right? And now they have their vocation. <laughs> so needs of the world is almost like, you know, Stephen Covey, right? Begin with the end in mind. Mm -hmm. Like you're about to go out and look for a job, or you're about to start a new product or service, new company. Make sure that you begin with the end in mind. What is the problem you're going to solve? When you start there, the need of the world is being addressed at the beginning, and you reverse engineer it to back your talents into it. And that's where everybody who has success has to go there. And I think that's been a big key for in my world. Um, when I started, you know, every presentation I do, all the different companies I've done, and and had the honor to work with, we always reverse engineer. I begin everything with what their goals are, what's their outcome, how do we serve their organization in a way that no one's ever done before that's going to leave them with takeaways and value that they'll be able to use again and again. Mm -hmm. It stems directly from your own care, concern, and presence. You are incredibly present to what's going on at the moment, Freddie, and I commend you for that. Thank you, Dan. Well, thank you so much, and back at you. <laughs> well, uh, without giving anything away, I understand there's a book forthcoming. There is a book forthcoming and uh, a title to be announced, um, but it is coming, and it's basically something that I've been working on since the, the day I started working with Marianne Williamson and Deepak Chopra in the early 90s. And it is that way of breaking down melody, harmony, and rhythm, and score, and all the other nuances that it takes to use those in your day-to-day -day life. Um, basically, taking the playlist of the music you love and applying it to what matters most in your life. Whoa. 
whoa. Well, when it comes out, we're going to post uh, links for how people can get that right here on the Action Catalyst. And I know it's going to be great. I'll sign up for the first one. All right. <laughs> thank you. Good. Well, Freddie, thank you so much for sharing of your, your talents, your message, your heart, your spirit. It's what the Action Catalyst is all about. And I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Music's a huge part of our lives. And what you've done has caused me to look at it differently. And I'm very grateful for that. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for having me. It's been, a, it's been my joy. Awesome. Well, best to you always and keep the music flowing. You got it. All right. Take care. What a fun session with Freddie Ravel. I almost can't stop singing, body Oh, man. To have talked to somebody that has spent time with some of the musical greats all around the world and that has taken the lessons he's learned from that and is transferring them now to business audiences to help encourage them, absolutely fantastic. Looking back over my copious notes that I took on this, Freddie's ability to link music, which is an artistic, creative, primarily right-brain-driven activity with business, which is often left-brained, analytical, deliberative, and pull them together is really the essence of a whole person being a complete leader. When he speaks about melody, melody is what leadership is all about, setting the tone. What is the refrain? What is the tune that we want to have everybody working toward? But then the harmony, two or more notes working together to make a pleasant sound and a pleasant results. When they don't work together, we have dissonance and we have that crashing sound on the keyboard. But the reality is when there's two or more notes that are in harmony, it makes a beautiful sound. And that's what cooperation is all about. Collaborative and supportive organizations do that. And then finally, rhythm. It's the whole notion of proper timing and self-management, that we can do the right thing at the wrong time and it doesn't really get us anywhere. And so just as in an orchestra or a band, there's a drummer that keeps track and everyone keeps up with that. It's the rhythm, it's the timing, it's the understanding of that. And ultimately it leads to the score. And score of course has two meanings. It is the amount that we have at the end of a competition or a time period. And it's also the musical framework that a piece is written in, the score. And this results in synergy, which is the highest possible outcome. Absolutely phenomenal. You know, it's interesting to hear how thoughtful Freddie is. Most of us, myself included, can go through experience after experience, travel after travel, and rarely take the time to sit back and reflect. And maybe it was his time with Deepak Chopra that helped him understand it's the space between the notes where we're going to have the biggest learning that we never really know what's in front of us fully, but if we slow down a little bit and check the space between the notes, we can come up with some great things. Freddie has found, I believe, his, his true purpose, his true calling, which is to merge his immense talent with art with developing people and helping people. And that didn't happen all at once. It came back really through these connections, going to a six-day personal empowerment program in which he was encouraged to bring his band. But you have to set the tone so you speak first and tell people a little bit about your backstory. And that led to speaking more and led to speaking more. And then suddenly, here he is, able to present and inspire and motivate. He's been with many artists and influences that all focused on the importance of the human spirit. And that was one of the other great insights I got from Freddie, that world-changing artists, world-changing artists are the ones that really focus on the human spirit and how powerful that is. That melody is the leading aspect of music, but really it's the human spirit that drives and moves people in such a good way. Very impressed with that. Freddie, of course, has faced setbacks. Anybody that is dealing with something challenging or on a world scale, as he does, is definitely going to deal with these. And so I asked him, how did he motivate himself through these difficult periods? He said, it's amazing that melody clashes sometimes several times in a given day. 
And his first approach is to say, this is an opportunity to look inside and become a better person. What a phenomenal affirmation when faced with a problem, first of all, say, no, wait a minute, this is a chance to look inside and become a better person. Let's take a breath. There's something positive here. I know for myself, when I let my thoughts careen out of control down a negative or non-constructive path, it's pretty easy to feel like things are going to just come crashing down at any moment. But if we take that first breath and say, no, hang on a minute, there's something positive here, then it helps to open up different parts of our internal mental and emotional resources. So Freddie's first step is to take that breath. Second, he says, you don't necessarily have to figure it all out instantly. First of all, assess the situation, stay focused, breathe, realize there's usually a little bit of time to get things worked out. And then finally, be brave enough to ask for help. I think it's not only being brave enough, and Freddie certainly has courage, but it's also pushing our own ego aside to realize, hey, I don't know everything. I've got some things I can learn from others. I need some support and background and to have that humility to be able to reach out to others in such a good way. When I talked to Freddie, of course, about how he deals with these unexpected setbacks, he spoke a lot about the importance of listening, first of all, to yourself, and that listening in the world, and his quote, is at an all-time low. If we just rearrange the letters in the word listen, we get the word silent, that there's a time to be silent. And of course, some 50 years ago, Simon Garfunkel wrote about the sounds of silence. So the ability to listen, we use an acronym in our business called S-U-A-L. It stands for shut up and listen, because then we can figure something else out. When he quoted Dottie Walters, the idea of imagining that you can have a cup of coffee with anybody that has ever lived, what would that be like? Explore that in your mind. It helps to frame our listening because the quality of what we learn is usually a direct reflection of the quality of the questions that we ask. Freddie is not ever going to be satisfied with just being average. He's not going to deal in mediocrity. It's just not his thing. And he believes in the quote that good is the enemy of great, that we can figure out how to become greater and greater if we just stay focused on it. He's got a very deep purpose about serving others. He believes that it's a world where there's an abundance of opportunity, not a scarcity, if people care and if people work with each other. And possibly the greatest insight that I got out of many great insights was when he quoted Aristotle that when talents and the needs of the world intersect, therein lies your vocation. He also said that you can't just sit back and say, oh, I've got a lot of talent, the world owes me a living. He said, no, 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 it's talents and the needs of the world intersect. So I think that is a very powerful bit of advice, that sometimes we can have a product, a service, an idea, a website, uh, something that we think is, this is it, this is the it app. How come nobody's buying it? And sometimes it has to do with the needs of the world, and they just haven't intersected at that point in time. It's really a powerful quotation, and I would encourage all of us to keep it in mind. Freddie's got a book coming out, and it's really about how the awareness of music and art can impact business. So when the book does finally come out, we're going to post it here on the Action Catalyst and would encourage you to do as I'm going to do and dig into it some more. So this was our time with Freddie Ravel. He understands rhythm, he understands music, he understands the rhythm of success. And that's what he shared with us in such a great way. So until next time, pick a good tune. I recommend something by Earth, Wind & Fire, maybe Sergio Mendez, how about some Al Jarreau, how about some Carlos Santana? We just might hear Freddie Ravel playing along. Until next time, Dan Moore, thanks. 